Well, as always, uh, so great to be with you, church family. Uh, I hope that you're doing well. Uh, it seems uh, like it's been such a long time now uh, since we've been able to all worship together. Uh, I really miss uh, seeing all of you, uh, but at the same time, I'm continuing to trust uh, that God has a purpose and a plan, and that in the end, uh, that he is going to use uh, all of this, uh, this entire season, uh, for our good and his glory. Uh, well, today, I'm going to be wrapping up our glorious gospel series, uh, which we've been working through for the last month now. Uh, I hope and pray uh, that it's been helpful, helpful for you as far as your personal understanding of the gospel, uh, but also uh, I hope it has encouraged you to uh, live out the gospel and to share the gospel with the people in and around your life. Uh, well, in this series, we've talked about uh, things like the character of God and the reality that he is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. Uh, we've discussed the sinfulness of man, uh, how we are each created by God, but uh, each and every one of us are corrupted by sin. Uh, we've covered the topic of the sufficiency of Christ and ultimately how Jesus is unique amongst all other people in all of history, that he alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God. And then last week, we learned about the necessity of faith, uh, about how the only way that we can be restored to God is through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that to receive God's gift of salvation— we need to turn from our sin. We need to turn from ourselves and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And now today, uh, I want to close things by working through and answering the question, uh, why is this important? Uh, or why is the gospel important? Why does this matter? And by that, I mean, first and, for, uh, first and foremost, why are the truths of the gospel important uh, to you personally? But also, uh, why is it important for followers of Jesus to share the gospel? Uh, why risk the tension? Uh, why risk the awkwardness, the potential for hate and persecution, uh, or whatever may come from boldly living out and sharing the gospel? And what we're going to see today is that the answer is simply this. Uh, because eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. And so that's going to be our focus today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about destiny, uh, eternity, and ultimately the gospel truth that our eternal destiny hinges on our response to Jesus. Our eternal destiny hinges on our response to to Jesus. And I know that's a really big uh, statement, right? Particularly if you were to share that with, a, with another person, particularly a non-believer. Uh, but I want to give us today a very clear picture uh, of this concept through the scriptures that ultimately our destiny, our eternal state, hinges on what we do with the gospel, hinges on how we respond to Jesus. You know, when you search through the Bible, uh, what we see is very clear is that there are only two options for a person after they finish this life on earth. Uh, and one of them uh, is hell. Uh, now, 
I know that uh, hell isn't a popular or politically correct topic uh, to talk about in our day. Uh, actually, growing up in the church myself, uh, I don't remember a lot of teaching uh, about hell, to be honest. Uh, but today I want to consider the topic of hell together. At least we're going to start there. And we're going to do that by turning to the book of Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. Uh, we know that the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Thessalonica, and here is what he says to them starting in verse 6. Uh, he says this, follow along with me. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, if inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. For our purposes today, uh, the key here is verses 8 through 9. Uh, you might even underline them, uh, highlight them so that you can refer to this when you share the gospel. Uh, but what we see here clearly is that for those who do not know God, the reality for that person is separation from God. And so in light of that, uh, point one for us today, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, uh, point one for us today is this. That hell is a dreadful reality for those uh, who turn from Jesus. Hell is a dreadful reality for those who turn from Jesus. And that truth is clear all throughout the Bible. You know, I've heard uh, in my time of ministry, even when I was a seminary student uh, with other friends that are, were non-believers, uh, I've heard people say before, well, uh, it seems like the God of the Old Testament, you know, was more about wrath and, and punishment. Uh, but that's not what I see with Jesus and what I see from God in the New Testament. And, and I always find that so interesting because uh, when I look at Jesus and when I look at what he, he taught, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, for example, in Matthew 10, uh, verse 28, Jesus said this, Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or in Mark chapter 9, Jesus himself says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where, there is, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You know, the famous theologian J.I. Uh, Packer, he says this about Jesus and his teaching on hell. He says, all the language that strikes terror into our hearts, weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, the worm, the fire, Gehenna, is all directly taken from Jesus Christ, our Lord's teaching. 
So again, this truth of the reality of hell uh, for all of those who continue to put themselves at the center of their lives is all throughout the scriptures. It's all throughout God's word, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to Jesus himself to the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. Uh, Now, uh, I want to say this as well, is that amidst all of these pictures and descriptions of fire and, and darkness uh, and destruction uh, that we see that are wrapped around hell, um, there is a lot of debate about whether or not these images are indeed to be taken literally or symbolically. Uh, and maybe it's worth it uh, later on for us to talk about that in another sermon series. But the main point remains the same, regardless of where you land on that. Um, Hell is where God is not. That's the main point here. Hell is where God is not. Hell is a place of separation, and that is dreadful news, to say the least. In this series, uh, we've already seen that separation from God uh, is a result of our sin, But now we also see that the Bible teaches that hell is the finalization of that separation. Again, in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, we saw this, that people are away from the presence of the Lord. And this reality of hell as a potential uh, eternal destination, this absence of God's presence, uh, is a truth that flows directly from all that we've talked about in this series. You know, we've seen that God is holy, and we have discussed that we have all rebelled against him. And as a result, like, we've learned that we are all separated from God. And so when you picture hell, uh, don't just picture this uh, scene of fire, like with a, uh, a red devil holding a pitchfork, okay? Um, picture hell uh, instead Picture hell as the outcome of our rebellion against God and our separation from God. Uh, You and I, we know this. Uh, We were created to be with God. Uh, We are created in his image for the purpose of being in relationship with him. And in his presence is the fullness of joy, peace, love, total satisfaction, and so much more good. Therefore, understand, uh, removed from that presence is also the absence of all of those wonderful things. You know, what could be more awful news than that? Uh, Separated from God, not being able to experience his glory and all of his good gifts, And yet, so many have chosen to turn aside from God to themselves, which then leads us to the second truth about hell. And it's this, that hell is a place of rebellion. Hell is a place of rebellion. We see this in the scriptures, and we see it really clearly in Romans chapter 1. We're not going to have it next to me um, on the screen, but in verse 24, it, it essentially says this, that God gives people over to what they desire that he gives people over to their sin. In other words, God gives people over to a life of self and what they have ultimately desired. And this is why C.S. Lewis called hell. He said, hell is this. It's the greatest monument to human freedom. It's a place that they, meaning humans, 
have demanded. Now, of course, uh, there are always those who say, uh, well, uh, like, why doesn't God save everybody? And actually, uh, some people, uh, I think unfortunately, but some people, even within the church, uh, believe that in the end, God will save everybody. Uh, but once we realize the nature of man's rebellion and the way that we have turned from God, then we also realize uh, there must come a point uh, when we have to turn from ourselves to God. You know, we've said this before, but because of who God is, uh, because of his character, uh, we have to be held responsible at some level for the choices that we make. So, so for all people to be saved, now get this, try to follow this with me, um, God would actually have to force man to sell into self-surrender, uh, but that would negate the very point of self-surrender in the first place, right? It would be a contradiction. Um, I've used C.S. Lewis quite a bit uh, throughout this series, but I'm going to quote him uh, one more time just on this point. Uh, he said this, I think it's so good, so relevant. He says, in the long run, the answer to those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? He has done so on Calvary. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone? Listen, alas, I am afraid that is what he does. The bottom line there, hell is God leaving man alone in his self-chosen rebellion. It's the state of the soul being given over to sin and self. And then I want to finish our discussion on hell with this last reality, um, and that is this, that hell is final. Hell is final. We've already discussed that one sin against an infinite holy God is worthy of eternal justice and condemnation. And because of that, uh, we see this is the testimony of all Scripture regarding hell. We see, again, in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, again, we see that word eternal or uh, everlasting there. Uh, we also see it in places like Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 41 through 46, where it says that he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into, listen, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into what? Eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so to put it plainly and simply, there is no coming back from this. Hell is final. Um, it's eternal, and it's an everlasting punishment. And so I think it goes without saying, but this is not a reality that you want to be faced with. Uh, but the teaching of Jesus is clear. Uh, hell is a dreadful, eternal reality for all who turn from Jesus. Well, uh, thank God that in his grace, uh, there is another reality. Uh, praise God, there's another option. Uh, option. There is heaven. And we see in scripture 
uh, this, that heaven is a glorious reality for those who trust in Jesus. Uh, heaven is a glori- glorious reality for those who trust in Jesus. Uh, turn with me really briefly to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Um, for all who turn from their sin, for all who turn from themselves and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, they can declare this with the Apostle Paul and the rest of the church. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike hell, heaven is not a place of rebellion, but a place of full reconciliation. When the Bible uh, speaks of and envisions heaven, this is what we see. We see a place where men and women are fully reconciled to God. You know, for example, look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Um, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's describing heaven. He will dwell with them, and they will dwell with him. And so we see here that the creative order is restored. God together with man, fully restored. The next chapter, Revelation 22, gives us this amazing, this incredible imagery. It's it's saying that we will be like priests living in the temple, uh, like a bride joined together with her husband, like children united with their father, uh, like heirs of a king enjoying their inheritance with him, like participants in the banquet of all banquets. Heaven is a place of full reconciliation. We also know this, that heaven is a place of complete restoration in every single way. Uh, I think that makes sense. Um, Spiritually, uh, we learn that uh, we will be completely free from sin. Uh, That's our destiny for those who are in Christ. We will be completely free from sin. The Bible says that we will literally be robed in righteousness. That's Isaiah 61.10. No longer even touched by temptation. Heaven is a place where spiritually we will be utterly free to obey. Uh, British philosopher Paul Hem, Helm, he says it this way. He says, The freedom of heaven is the freedom from sin. Not that the believer just happens to be free from sin, but that he is so constituted or reconstituted that he cannot sin. He does not want to sin, and he does not want to want to sin. Heaven is a place where sin will literally be unthinkable to us and ultimately be undesirable to us. And not only will there be uh, full spiritual restoration, but also complete physical restoration. Uh, we have to get this weird uh, picture out of our minds where all of us are like just like spirits playing harps on clouds, right? Um, this is not the way that the, the Bible pictures heaven. The Bible pictures heaven actually as a new earth, a, a restored earth where we will eat and drink and work and play and explore and discover in the new creation. Um, honestly, I think in, in many ways, our view of heaven uh, is so warped. It's, it's so off. Uh, and I'll confess, uh, not that long ago, uh, really, I used to envision heaven 
uh, as a kind of like boring place. Uh, and maybe like some of you, uh, I asked myself uh, this question, like, what are we actually going to do in the new earth? Like, are we going to just stand around with each other and sing songs for like a few quadrillion years? Um, <laughs> that sounds a little bit boring to me. Uh, but then as I dug deeper and deeper and deeper into the scriptures and looked deeper into what heaven really is, what the new heaven and new earth really is, I realized, no, not at all. Uh, there's so much more to hope for uh, in heaven. Uh, spiritually, physically, and mentally, um, our, our knowledge of God will be right. Emotionally, our desires will be completely satisfied, um, and our wants will be totally trustworthy. Uh, no longer will we ever uh, have to battle our desires. They'll always be pure. We'll enjoy, we'll enjoy food without gluttony or, or, and eating disorders. We'll express admiration and affection without lust and fornication and betrayal. And so, in a very real sense, um, everything— Get this, everything is allowed in heaven because our wants, our desires, and our affections will be trustworthy. They'll be totally pure. Heaven is a place of full reconciliation, complete restoration. And then finally, heaven is a place of ultimate reunion. Ultimate reunion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24 says this. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Heaven is a place where we as God's people will recognize one another and, and love one another as, as family before a father, our father. As people from every nation, tribe, and, uh, and tongue with ancestry from every generation. And we can get this beautiful picture in our minds. Um, all of the saints together, Old Testament, New Testament, the church, together in harmony, dwelling with God the Father, uh, the one that we have given all of our hearts to, dwelling with Jesus, our beloved Lord and Savior, dwelling with the Holy Spirit, our sanctifier, our guide, and our comforter. Um, this is the picture of heaven. This is a future reality. Together with God, in his presence forever, just as we were created to be. And so these are the truths of the gospel. Uh, this is what we believe. And this is what we are called to live out. And so the question from here that we all have to ask ourselves, and the question that we have to ask to others as we share the gospel, is simply this. Will you turn from Jesus, or will you turn to Jesus? The gospel leaves every single person, every man, and every woman with a choice. Will you turn from Jesus, or will you trust in Jesus? Or is the key word there, uh, this is the choice that we all have.
nowhere more clearly stated in the famous verse, it's all in like football games at the, behind the field goal posts, right? John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. These are the two options for every single one of you watching this. Every person on this planet and every person in all of history, will you turn from Jesus or will you trust in Jesus? There's no middle ground here. And life and death hang in the balance with this question. For those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who choose to live without Jesus, who choose to do things their own way, uh, maybe you haven't verbalized your rejection of Jesus, but your life shows your rejection. For that person, the scriptures are clear. You do not belong to Christ. And as a result of never turning from your sin and never turning from yourself to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, uh, the sad reality of the gospel is that you die without Christ forever, uh, eternally separated from God. Or, again, or uh, will you trust in Jesus? Uh, will you die with Christ? Will you turn aside uh, from your pride? Will you confess your sinfulness before God? And will you die to your selfish ways and all of your self-righteousness? Will you die uh, to your sin, die to yourself? If you trust in Jesus, uh, the reality is eternity with God. But either way you choose, remember this. Again, your eternal destiny hinges on your response to Jesus Christ. So clearly, uh, from God's word, we see uh, the destinations for those who choose Jesus uh, and the destination for those who choose themselves. And so now, uh, as followers of Christ, how do we weave this truth of the gospel into our lives? Um, how do we live out this truth so that we can be gospel-centered people? And I just want to give you uh, two uh, sort of practical pieces of advice here. Uh, the first one is this. Let me encourage you, uh, minimize your conversations about temporal things. Minimize your conversations about temporal things. Um, if this is true, all that we've been talking about in this series, if the gospel is true, if the Bible is true, um, if you believe and hold on to these truths, then we must not stay silent about the destinies that lay ahead. So let us, like in a really practical sense here, minimize our conversations about temporal things. You know, we are so, as a society, as a culture, um, we are so consumed with the temporary. And, and if you really listen to, to much of our conversations, much of what you see like on YouTube or the media, uh, they're almost all of our conversations are almost always about temporal things. You know, we spend so much of our time talking about things that in the end really don't matter. You know, think of all the topics that dominate our conversations, right? We talk about the weather. Uh, we talk about food. Uh, we talk about sports. I know that's a huge one for me. Um, so many of us, like all we ever talk about is work. You know, there's so many different things. Um, and I'm not saying uh, to you to not, to not care about those things that are going on in your life. 
right? They have a level of importance, but also realize that everything in your life can ultimately be a distraction from, from what really, really matters. And so let me again encourage you to minimize the temporary. And then number two, and it sort of flows from this, from point one, number two, let me encourage you to maximize your conversations about eternal things. Maximize your conversations about eternal things. You know, in other words, uh, simply talk more about what matters. Uh, go beyond the surface. Uh, this is really the whole point of this series, right? How can we be people who live in this world uh, and at the same time point people to the eternal realities that are beyond this world? And so let me encourage you, just spend time this week maybe reflecting on your, conversa- on your conversations, on your speech, the way that you're living your life. Uh, maybe you're on the bus this week or on the subway. I know so many of us in this season uh, are just staying at home. So you have plenty of time to think. Uh, think something like this. What did I say today that will matter forever? Uh, think about your conversation today or maybe yesterday or, or even this week. What did I say this week? What did I say yesterday? What conversation did I have today that will actually matter forever? And as you reflect on that, uh, resolve to be a person that talks about things that matter. And then let me encourage you uh, with this as well, to look for opportunities to express an eternal perspective on circumstances, events, and the situations around you. Again, this is a really great time. This is a really great season to do that. Uh, how are you approaching uh, this, this virus and the chaos that's in our world? What's your perspective on this entire situation? Um, and again, just really simple. Uh, just know this. This is what we're really, it all boils down to when it comes to the gospel and your belief in the gospel. Uh, the gospel should change the way you do everything. That's really what we're getting at here. That's really what I'm saying. The gospel, if you really believe in the gospel, it should change the way that you do everything. Um, all of your encounters, uh, the way you do social media, the way that you chat uh, on cacao, uh, everything that you do, all of the ways that you live, all of your decisions, when you realize how much is at stake with the gospel, your life and everything in it, should change. So this is the glorious gospel. God is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. You and I, we are each created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. Jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God. And so we can be restored to God, but only through faith in Jesus. And why does this matter? Because our eternal destiny hinges on our response to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for the glorious gospel. Thank you for these truths that we've been able to learn together for this past uh, several weeks. I pray for each and every one of us that these truths would be Uh, deeply implanted into our hearts, that we wouldn't just know these truths, uh, but we'd actually uh, be spurred on to live out these truths 
and to not just live out these truths, but actually to share these truths with, with our family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with, with even, even people we just randomly might meet on the street. God, help us to be people who boldly and courageously live out the gospel, speak the gospel, and share the gospel. Uh, change us from the inside out. Thank you that uh, for those who are in Christ, for those who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior, our destiny is with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.